Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year to you. We're excited about this brand new series that we're starting this weekend called Sculpted. It is the idea that you and I are God's works in progress, that he has a plan for every life in this room. You're not an accident. You are an incident, and God had you on purpose, and there is a plan. We just need to align ourselves with his plan so we can discover his purpose. Now, our previous series we did was really rooted in Romans 8, 28. That great verse that says, and we know, we're certain, that all things work together for good. Now, we learned in the last series, all things aren't good. I mean, we found there's a lot of people in our church going through some bad things, and I can relate to that. We have people who are fighting cancer. We have people with heart disease. We have people who have relational issues and financial issues, people that have gone through the breakup of a marriage, people who have heartbreak with their children, children with heartbreak with their parents. You don't have to look far to find someone going through something. And many of you in the room might describe your life this morning as the best of times and the worst of times at the same time. You could probably think of some things this morning that would make you smile, and you could probably think of some things this morning that might make you cry. It's just the things life is made of, the sweet, the sour, the good, the bad, the happy, the sad. And what we're trying to do in the church is help you connect dots, to realize that God is in control, he has a plan, and as Paul said, we know that all things, all things work together for good. Those things can actually work out ultimately for our good to those who love God, he said, and those who are called to his purpose. Now that was the last series. We talked about basically, how do you get through what you are going through? And more than getting through it, how do you grow through what you're going through? As I talk to people every day of every week, I find everybody is dealing with something. And sometimes when you say, okay, this is going to be what we're going to be dealing with, sometimes you get a curveball. You get a brand new thing to deal with, a brand new issue that you've encountered. For example, over, the, over our holidays, as we were getting ramped up to do our Christmas services, I went in for just a routine physical. The doctor says there's a spot on your lower back below your left shoulder blade. How long has it been there? I said, I don't have a clue. I don't know. I don't really trick shot myself in the mirror when I get out of the shower. I have no way of knowing. And with Cindy's illness, uh, she's not able really to pick up on those sorts of things. And so he says, well, we're gonna biopsy. We're gonna look at that. It doesn't look good. And so within a week, I'm over at a surgeon in Dallas. And he's saying, we're gonna do surgery on your back, below your shoulder blade. We found out what's there is a malignant melanoma. It's stage four, which is not good. And so they did surgery on my back. They did a pretty aggressive incision. And fortunately, they were able to remove all of that troubled area. Then they sent me to a second surgeon a few days later. And this surgeon did what is called a sentinel node test, which basically is they inject dye around the incision, trying to determine where uh, possibly my lymph glands had been invaded by this, this issue. 
And so they determined it would probably be under my left arm. And so I went in for a, another surgery. Now I told the doctor, because this was coming up on our Christmas Eve sur- services, I said, look, uh, I don't know what your plans are with this next surgery, but I can't be incapacitated for our weekend services. I said, I've got six services coming up and I'm supposed to be on the mound. I gotta do what I gotta do. She said, I don't think you fully appreciate the seriousness of your situation. I said, I don't think you fully appreciate what I do for a living. <laughs> I said, I've got a, I'm pitching Saturday night, twice Sunday, and three times on Monday, so don't cut me up so bad I can't get there. And so we kind of had that agreement. So they went under my arm, they did three pretty good incisions and removed those lymph nodes. And so I showed up here uh, for the weekend services, those incisions under my arm and in my back, so if you noticed I was pulling to the left, that was why. (laughs) And if you hugged me out in the lobby and I wept and we had a moment, it wasn't because (laughs) anything other than pain. (laughs) You hurt a brother. And so, so the good, the good news that I got from that whole experience was the nodes came back clear, uh, which I was very thankful that we wouldn't have to do. Thank you. And so I was scheduled with an oncologist who then was going to do a CAT scan. So I was back at Presby in Dallas and they did the full CAT scan and I met with the oncologist on New Year's Eve. I had a great holiday. <laughs> and, uh, and on New Year's Eve, it got better. She said, Bill, I'm really pleasantly surprised to tell you because I don't normally get to give this kind of news to my patients. She says, so far, so good. You're clear on your CT scan. So now the plan is every three months I'll be checked. Every six months I'll have a CAT scan. I have an oncologist now to go with my cardiologist. Huh? Isn't that exciting? So uh, it, is, it just is what it is. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, when you think you've got your life mapped out and you say, okay, I've got Cindy's stuff here and we're gonna be dealing with that, all of a sudden, sometimes out of the blue, comes something else to deal with. So I'm just saying, God's in control. He's got this. I'm not stressed, I'm not worried about it at all. I know God has a plan, and can I tell you what works for me works for you. I mean, we can choose to go through life and just get angry and bitter and hostile. What I've told you in the previous series, I'll reiterate in this one, God seldom explains himself. (laughs) He doesn't ask my permission, and he doesn't often tell you why he's doing what he's doing, but here's what I know, and this is the whole premise of this next message, he has a plan. And I wanna try to help you connect dots as to the why that the things happen in our life. What is God up to? I've got a big picture that I wanna try to paint for you this morning, because I think I've swerved into some stuff that I hope will be pretty good for you. In fact, I wanna talk to you about this topic, a design in mind. God has a design in mind. He has a plan. I read years ago when I was a little boy, it stuck in my head, it said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He has a plan, he has a a design. I had my water bottle with me the last service and I dropped it and I didn't pick it up. Somebody said, why didn't you pick it up? I said, because last Tuesday I was told I couldn't lift anything above a a gallon of of, uh, milk and I uh, remembered it was trash day and so I stooped down, this was last Tuesday, to lift up a bag and I broke stitches in my incision. So I was back at the hospital Tuesday night getting all that put back together. So I'm still swerving to the left a little bit this morning. And I just wanna say this, I am so thankful for my kids. They have stepped up. One of the things I said, I didn't want Cindy to know anything about any of this. She thinks I just had a little spot removed from my back and we're all good. She's not able to watch these services online, so. 
So I was able to keep that from her. That's a good thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> Romans 8, we're gonna talk about a design in mind, how God really does take the good, the bad, the happy, the sad, and he has a way of working these things out for our good and for his glory. And again, I'm gonna try to talk to you a little bit about why he does what he does and why he allows what he allows. Now, when we come upon these two verses, these two verses create some theological tension. Most denominations will uh, have some tension over what I'm gonna talk about this morning. I've gone through and kind of swerved and tried to find my own uh, view of what I wanna teach you this morning, and I wanna share that with you since I'm the senior teacher here and I'll be responsible before God of how I've taught the church. I wanna to try to be biblically accurate. And so I wanna share with you what I think is being taught here in this uh, narrative. Now, uh, the Bible says, if you'll follow me here in Romans chapter eight, verses 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now let me stop right here to tell you I found the why as to why we go through so many things that we go through. And here it is, it's in this phrase, to be conformed in the image of his son. Now look, I don't know all the detail of it, but I can tell you everything that happens in your life and mine ultimately has a goal, an objective, and that is God is using those things to conform me, to conform you into the image of his son. Now when God created us all, the uh, uh, Imago Dei, we were created in the image of God. But because of sin, when sin entered the picture, we became a marred image of God. So now God is in a work of recreating us. He is shaping and forming us so that we individually can be a reflection of who he is. God desires to be seen in and through my life. That's really my greatest value on this earth is people might see how I handle adversity or success or my wife or my children or my grandkids or you or my friend, other friends. <laughs> I will say you and my friends. Uh, you uh, and other friends and they can see how, they, how I handle the people and situations and hopefully, hopefully see glimpses of who God is and how I respond and how I act. And I think what is true of us individually is true of us collectively. When the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said, unto him be glory in the church. Now what does that expression mean, glory in the church? How, how would you define glory, the word glory? I, let me give you my opinion. I define glory in this way. Everything that God is. Everything that he is could be defined as glorious. So when uh, glory in the church means a little bit of who he is is seen in the church. That's why we do what we do to help hurting people. That's why we do what we do to help hungry people. That's why we do what we do to help people who don't know God, don't care about God, have nothing to do with God. We still love them and reach out to them because we think that's what Jesus would do based upon what we know Jesus did. So as a church collectively, we want to be a reflection of who he is. We wanna show people his, quote, glory. So that's what the term means, that's what the expression is, it is what our objective as a church should be, and that is to be a reflection of who God is. So this idea of being conformed in the image of his son is a process. It's a process. Uh, when they're getting um, a precious mineral out of the mountain, the first thing they have to do is to actually go in and mine the mineral out of the mountain. And then before the mineral has value, they have to get the mountain out of the mineral. 
And sometimes to get the mountain out of the mineral, it requires it being crushed. And sometimes in order for the mineral to be uh, uh, valuable, it has to be refined. So it's a process. It's not just you and I connecting with Jesus and he's pulling us out of a worldly system that doesn't know him. It's now getting the system out of us and getting us focused on loving each other and serving one another and bringing him glory. And that's a process because we all kind of come with one interest in mind and it's self-interest. Most people apart from God have a philosophy of get all you can, can all you get, set on the lid and spoil the rest. (laughs) And that can happen in the life of a church. You can buy the philosophy as a church of us four, no more, shut the door. (laughs) And you can get very uh, focused on yourself and not on others. And I think when that happens to a church, it no longer is a reflection of who he is. He was always about other people. He was always about others. And I say that because there's a great theological underpinning in this, uh, in this understanding of what the foreknowledge of God and the predestination of God looks like when it comes to the process of being conformed into the image of his son. Now there is a, a theory, let me just float this by you. This will help you if you want to take Bible trivia sometimes. There's a theory called monogism and synergism. And it's the idea, monogism is a Greek compound word that means to act alone. Now there are some like um, John Calvin that came upon this passage and many others and decided that what this means is the work of salvation, bringing people to Jesus is the work of God alone. That it doesn't require our response to that work. That he goes so far, and many who espouse to that go so far as to believe that the elect or the chosen that is spoken of in scripture involved only a certain group that has been born on this earth to the exclusion of all others who have been born on this earth. And if you aren't in the elect or you have not yet been chosen or you haven't been chosen by God, you don't have a shot. He kind of views God as looking down from heaven saying, any, many, miny, mo, you go to heaven, to hell you go. (laughs) Monogism. And there's some people that espouse to that. Uh, I would describe them not necessarily as Calvinists, but maybe hyper-Calvinists. They go to the extreme. And then the other side of the equation is synergism. Synergism is the Greek compound word that means to act in concert or to act with someone else. Uh, Jacob Arminius uh, had a a, a difference of opinion um, with Calvin in that he came along and said, no, this involves a choice. That yes, salvation is the work of God, but it also involves the choice of a person to respond to the work of God. So then you had these clashing opinions that it's all of God, nothing on me, and the other one was, well, no, I have a choice in the matter. And so you see the competing views, theologically speaking. Now, I've tried to understand both points of view and arrive what I think as a healthy place, at least it drives a lot of the philosophy of our church. I had a guy who was teaching one time and he was caught up in in a a real hyper-Calvinistic view. Uh, He was teaching a group of college students. And so he tells the kids, one student asked him, she said, if I understand what you're teaching, you're saying essentially that if my brother who has not yet received Christ, that if he is not elect or chosen by God, then no matter how much I pray for him, or if he comes to a point where he wants to receive Jesus, there's no hope for him. He said, are you saying that? He goes, that's exactly what I'm saying. If he's not elect and if he's not in the chosen, then no matter what he does or what he chooses to do with the message, there's no hope. So she came obviously upset because it was not something that I had been teaching 
And so she asked my opinion, and I said, I don't agree with that at all. So I pulled him in, and we had a little come to Jesus. And then I announced that the next weekend I'd be teaching the class. So he sat on the front row, and I said, look, I love this guy. We're going to be in heaven together, but everything he taught you last week, I don't agree with. (laughs) So I just tried to put that right up front. And I said, I believe when Jesus said, whosoever will, let them come, I believe what Jesus said. And here's where I am on that. I honestly believe that when you go to the cross and you see Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world, and when Jesus said, it is done, it is finished, what he meant was all of the work necessary to be saved is complete. So it's not a matter of works. I'm not working in order to be saved. In fact, the verse that Laney mentioned, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Suppose Ross Perot buys another $10 million track of land and he calls me and says, hey, Ramsey, I'm gonna cut you in on this. What, how much can you afford to invest? So I'd come up with 500 bucks. <laughs> so he said, we're gonna call you a real silent partner, but okay, I'll let you in this. And so he, he buys this land for whatever 10 million minus $500 would be, and I go around boasting all around Fort Worth, me and Ross own that property. I'm a partner, I kicked in on it. That's human nature. And that's why Jesus said, no flesh will boast in his sight. You know why it's all of Jesus on the cross and none of me in terms of of, uh, how I'm saved? It's because he doesn't want me going around heaven going, yeah, that's me and Jesus. (laughs) We got this deal done. I'm here because I did a little something, something to get myself here. That's not how it's gonna look. That's not how it's gonna work. It's not works. Listen, it's a response. A response has nothing to do with work. It's Jesus dying on the cross and the Holy Spirit bringing me by the hand of the cross and saying, Ramsey, what do you think of that? You receive that or you reject that? That's not work, it's a response. And so when when I study scripture, I understand God gave to man when he created us, in my view, free will. Go back to the garden. Genesis two, there's a tree in the garden. God says to Adam, you can eat of any of the trees, but leave that one alone, right? Now, God wanted man to love him because he had a choice to love him, not to love him because he had no choice. If I'm not free not to love God, I'm not free to love God. You see how that works? In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, uh, the Bible says, God, what is the will of God? God is not willing. Here it is. He's not willing that any should perish. He didn't say many. <laughs> he said any, but that all should come to repentance. It is the will of God for every single solitary person on the planet to receive, respond to him as savior. So I have that choice. In fact, when I look in the Bible, there's numerous verses that I could give you, but just for time's sake, I'll give you a few. In 1 Timothy chapter two, verse four, the Bible says the Lord will have all people to be saved. What's the will of God? For every person to know Jesus. He wants every individual in this world to be connected to their creator. It is not the will of God. Again, Jesus said, whosoever will, whosoever will, let them come. Jesus said, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. In fact, one of the problems in this is in Acts chapter seven, verse 21, where Stephen was frustrated with some of the Jewish believers who thought religion and rituals and righteousness would result in their salvation. And out of frustration, Stephen writes in Acts chapter seven, verse 21, he says this, get this phrasing, you are resisting the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought we didn't have a choice in the matter. 
If I don't have a choice in the matter, how is it that I could resist the Holy Spirit? Why does Jesus keep talking about my will if I don't have a choice in the matter? So it is free will, it is free choice. I can resist as Stephen was admonishing those in Acts 7, or I can respond, I can receive. When you look at the the Gospel of John, how many times, if you'll find this expression in the Gospel of John, Jesus saying, they will not come to me that they might have life. Time and time and time again, you read that phrase. They will not come to me that they might have life. And finally, about John 8, 21 and change, he says, now watch this, they cannot come to me that they might have life. See what happened there? Willful, get this, willful rejection of Jesus could lead to judicial rejection by Jesus. You don't want me? Okay, fine. We'll go our separate ways, right? In fact, in Genesis 5, he said, my spirit will not always strive with a person. You can step through a threshold and go so far in rejecting Jesus that he'll no longer bother you about the matter. You say, okay, we're fine, we're cool. You go your way, I'll go my way. Uh, It's not gonna go well for you in eternity, but right now, if this is what you want in time, this is how we'll roll. And there are people who walk away from him. And I'm just saying he has designed us in such a way that we have free will. We have a choice in the matter. And so I'm just suggesting to your heart and mind as you understand how this foreknowledge and predestination works is it involves the sovereign work of God in giving to mankind an ability to choose. And it's his will that we choose him. But we have a will to reject him. It's all in the same package. And so here in this narrative, it says those God foreknew, he predestined. The idea of predestination, we'll get into that next week, is the idea of predetermining certain things. Now, the predestination of God, according to this, is according to his foreknowledge. So because God knows some things that will happen beforehand, he then predetermines certain things that will happen. Let me give it to you another way. Because God knew one day a kid like me would be born and would receive him while I'm a child, would decide to connect with my creator and invite him into my life. Because he's sovereign and he knew that, in his foreknowledge, he then predetermined certain things that would happen in my life. See how that works? In other words, God knows beforehand, uh, knows beforehand what I will and will not do. So knowing what I will and will not do, he then predetermines certain activities that are inevitable and inescapable in my life. And if I respond correctly to those activities, the result is I'll be conformed into the image of his son. I'll then be a greater reflection of who he is. So when I speak of foreknowledge, I'm really talking about the sovereignty of God. I'm talking about a God who's in control of everything. And he's so powerful and so secure in his sovereignty that he's given you and I an ability to choose or an ability to refuse. And so in his his, uh, sovereignty, you see foreknowledge. Now I wanna touch on two or three things and we'll go home. And I hope I I don't just skip right over this and and just you go, well, I'll come next week, maybe it's better. Anyway, here we go. Number one, (laughs) number one, it involves what I'm calling the desire. And when I speak of desire, I'm speaking of the desire in the heart of God. Our sovereign creator has a desire. You and I, this world would not exist if it were not for the heart and the desire of God. Listen to the heart of God. Isaiah 53, I'm sorry, Isaiah 43, verse seven. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I, note now, have created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God said, everyone that knows me, who's connected with my creator, understand I've created everything for my glory. Remember what I said the definition of glory is? It's everything that he is. 
So God created this world. What was in the heart of God in creating the world and in creating us? It was so that this world and so that we could be a reflection of who he is, so that we could bring him glory. It is the desire of God for everything that he created to reflect who he is. Can I tell you on that note, he really didn't need us. (laughs) And can I also say this morning, he really doesn't need us. When you read Acts 17, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. You think in his foreknowledge, he looked down there and saw Ramsey coming on the scene and thought, oh, if I could just get him on my team. Man, if I had old Bill, we'd be in good shape. Maybe I can recruit him at some point. No, he said, look, he he didn't need anything. I I don't bring anything to the table that makes God more God. (laughs) He's sovereign. And so you have this idea that he didn't need us. Listen, he wasn't lonely. He didn't create everything because he was lonely. Genesis 1, 26, he said, let us make man in our image, speaking of his role with the, with the son and with the spirit. And we know he had an angelic host in heaven around him. Wasn't he was bored, he didn't have anybody to talk to, and that's why he created us. That wasn't it at all. He created us the Imago Dei, to be in the image of God, to be a reflection of who he is, so that we could enjoy all the splendor and the glorious things about his presence. So you see something of his desire. Secondly, you see something of his design. In the heart of God, he designed certain things. He designed me and he designed you. He designed this world. We have a creative designer. Your DNA is unique. There's nobody like you. Your fingerprint is unique. There's nobody like you. That's why I would tell you, don't try to copy someone else. The copy is never as good as the original. God made you unique. He made you, there's no one that can do what you do exactly the way you do it. And can I tell you this morning, as long as you do what you do and the way you can do it, you are immortal (laughs) until he's finished with you. I love that passage in Ecclesiastes 3. uh, To everything there is a time, there's a purpose to everything under heaven. There's a season, a time to be born. He said a time to die. So as I understand scripture, according to that narrative, that you and I have purpose, and as long as we have purpose, God gives us time. So as long as I have a purpose for being on this earth, God will give me time to fulfill that purpose. And listen, the minute my purpose is up, minute God says, son, you've done everything I created you and sent you there to do. You've done everything, job well done. He'll call me home and I'll step from the temporal into the eternal. I'll be absent from the body to be present with my Lord. He'll say, I pray, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And I'm just saying you and I are here today, especially those of us who know him, because There's a reason. Your kids need you, your spouse needs you, you have family who needs you. There's something for you to do. You have a purpose. And so in the great design of God, he loved us and created us to be a reflection of who he is and we all have a purpose for our existence. And finally, it involves a destiny. Understanding a destiny. There is a way to connect the dots And I'll give you three significant words that I hope you can wrap your minds around and embrace because it will really help you see the process of how he's conforming us into the image of his son. First word I'll give you is relationship. It involves relationship, meaning that God truly desires to be connected to us. He truly desires to know us personally and intimately. And so there is a relationship you can have with him. 
And the relationship is established not through your religion, not through your self-righteousness. It is not through the rules that you follow or the rituals that you would, uh, 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 may observe or the routines maybe that you have developed. It is through a relationship, personal relationship with Jesus. John 14, six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So I'm suggesting to you the relationship I have with my heavenly father was established as a small boy when I humbled my heart and I invited him into my life. And the moment that happened, the Bible says, according to Ephesians 1, I was sealed. I was sealed. So not only am I I'm saved, but I'm sealed. How long is my salvation good? As long as the seal is good. You, you remember back with the... Uh, uh, a Tylenol scare in Chicago when they were tampering with Tylenol. Remember all that? And all of a sudden, man, they pull them from the shelves and they lock. And now, getting into a Tylenol, you might get into two CDs quicker than you can get into a little jar of Tylenol. Those, things, those puppies are sealed, wouldn't you agree? Well, they do that because they don't get sued again. But they do that because anyone knows if you buy Tylenol and the seal is broken, you don't take the Tylenol. Not only that, you do that with milk and you do that with about anything. When you go to the grocery store, one of the things you're looking for is a seal. And if that, if that lid's popped up, if that seal is broken, you're not consuming it because you know the contents may be contaminated. Well, what is it about our salvation, our relationship with God? What is the seal that seals us in the deal? Well, according to Ephesians 1.13, the Holy Spirit. He's the seal. So how long am I saved? I'm, 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 I'm saved as long as the seal is good. And what I know about the seal is he's eternal and he cannot lie. <laughs> you say, well, okay, Bill, so you believe those eternal relationships you have with God, that you've got a license to sin, right? That you've got your fire insurance and your policy in your pocket and you can just do any way you wanna do and go any way you wanna go and live any way and still die and go to heaven. That's what you believe? Well, yeah, but I believe it a little deeper than that. You see, when I became a Christ follower and I have the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, I have a new nature that is now existing with my old nature. And it's not a matter of now that I'm a Christian, I can do anything I want to do. When you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, uh, there's some things that you want to do that he, you don't want to do anymore. <laughs> the Holy Spirit changes your want to. It's not that I can sin all I want to, it's that I sin about all I want to. You get that? In other words, I, I don't want to do what I used to. It, it doesn't have the said the thrill is gone, baby. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. God has changed me and the Holy Spirit is there to convict me. He's there to chastise me if need be. And I'm saying I never had that presence before, but now that I do, he keeps me walking the line. So the relationship I have with God is eternal. It is based upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So relationship, here's the second word. Not only relationship, but fellowship. Now listen, relationship cannot be broken, but fellowship can. Are you married? Do <laughs> you have kids? Wouldn't you agree that you can have a good relationship with someone and a pretty bad fellowship with someone? Did you debate with the mate on the way to church? They're still your mate, right? But you just don't want to talk to them right now, do you? Don't look at them. You just don't want to talk to them right now. <laughs> now you may pick up right where you left off when you leave here. But you still, you know, you love them, you just don't like them, right? Now, there are people like that with God. We have hundreds of them in our church. They had a bad experience somewhere along the way, right? 
They have a relationship with God. They're in relationship, but they're just not in faith. They don't, they don't like him right now. They don't like what he allowed to happen in their life. They don't like it even more if they think he caused it to happen in their life. So we've had a lot of people that have walked out of the church and walked away from God. Sometimes they've gotten hurt in church. That's why I tell you all the time, if you had got hurt in church, you just didn't go long enough, baby. Hang in church. Somebody will run you down to the glory of God. Hang in there, baby. So I'm just saying it is possible to get hurt in church. In fact, one of the best places to get hurt at is, is serving God in church. The devil will do his best to use good people to do bad things so that you get messed up. It's another sermon. I don't go off on that one. I'll hang up here and we'll, we'll miss the next football game. We should, should have missed that one last night. I'm sorry. Anyway, fellowship, relationship, fellowship. Third word, partnership. Partnership. That's when you find purpose. That's when you see everything God is working in and through my life, he has a reason for it. Partnership. It's not a matter of dependency. It's not a matter of independency. It's interdependency. Here's what I think it looks like. It's realizing there are things God will not do without me. And there are things I cannot do without him. It's that interdependence of realizing that my hands might be the only hands of God anyone ever sees. My voice might be the only voice of God someone ever hears. My reactions and my works might be the only finger of God, the trace of God somebody in this world may ever see. So I walk daily conscious and cognizant of the fact that I am to be a reflection of who he is. So sometimes there's a grinding process and sometimes there's a refining process that he puts me through. But if I rest confidently in the word that I've read, I know the reason is he's conforming me into the image of his son. It's like spring training. He's saying, it's gonna be hard, man. You're on the asthma fields right now. It's tough. But you'll thank me for it late in the fourth quarter. You'll, you'll thank me for it when you still have some gas in the tank when the game goes long. It's hard right now, but I'm prepping you. I'm preparing you. I'm getting you ready for something you're gonna face down the road. It's understanding the crushing and the refining has purpose. Because in the foreknowledge of God, he knows how hard-headed I am. <laughs> and he knows what it takes to get me where he needs me to be, where I'll be usable. And that's important to me, because as long as I have purpose, I have life. <laughs> so I don't wanna get to a point where I don't have purpose. <laughs> So I'm suggesting to you this morning that what works for me will work for you. It's just understanding your design in his mind. He has a plan for your life. Let's pray. Now let's pray. <laughs> a little sound of freedom there. Father, we thank you for your word and for your will. Thank you, God, that you cannot fail and I pray for my friends who are struggling in different areas of life. I pray, Father, that you'll let them know how much you love them, that there's no accident they're in this room today. They're here by divine design. Your foreknowledge, your sovereignty brought them here so that their heart might turn toward you, that their mind would be open. You gave them intellect and you gave them reason and you gave them choice. So I pray they would exercise those three things in embracing you. Father, for my friends today who've never trusted you, give them the courage just to humble their heart and say, Lord, 
with all that is in me. I'll take all right now I know about me and I'll trust it right now with all I know about you. And Father, I pray you'll hear their prayer. And for others who need someone to encourage them before they go home, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll make their way here to the front, let somebody spend a few moments to encourage them and pray for them. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of knowing Jesus. Thank you for the fact that we're being sculpted into the image of your dear son. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.